Welcome to Momentum Church. Um, I want you to open your Bibles to John. How many is ready to get back into the book of John? Yeah, if you're a guest with us, this year we have been digging into the book of John. We're up to John chapter 13, and we'll finish this probably around springtime. And what, what we're doing is we go into John for four weeks or so, five, six weeks or so, and then we'll jump into another series. So if you're a guest, that's kind of our flow right now. But what we're doing over the next few weeks is just right back into John. Next Sunday, I know it's the start of the school break, but man, I would love for you to be here. Next Sunday, we're hitting John 14, and I'm going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit. How many wants to know a little bit more about the Holy Spirit? Amen? Jesus, he felt that the Holy Spirit was important for us to understand, and so we're going to teach into that next, next week. But today, we're dealing with John 13, and um, this is kind of a, a famous, popular passage of Scripture. You know, um, most of you know of the night in which Christ was betrayed and how he brought his disciples into an upper room and took time celebrating Passover with them. And so we're going to be looking at that. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. How many here, you have somebody in your life that is a difficult relationship? Um, raise your hand. Now, if you're sitting by him, don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Difficult relationship. You know, it's so easy at times to love people. It's easy to love. But the ones that are difficult, ugh, it's hard for us. You know, I heard a story of a man in a neighborhood. This man was a mean man. This man had a mean wife. He had some mean kids. And he had a mean dog. And you think I'm going to make a joke. No, he was just mean. That's it. Period. No joke. End of story. And some of you in this room, you have some neighbors like that. Or maybe a boss like that. Or a mother-in-law like no. But I would venture to say everyone in this room, there's somebody in your life that it can be a strained kind of connection. And in Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. That means there is times it's not possible. That's why boundaries are important. Amen. I'm not talking about allowing people to walk all over you. No, no, no. So if it is all possible, though, everything that it depends upon, on who? On who? On you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a part in this. God would want us to live at peace with everyone. With everyone, pastor? Like with everyone. Like with that lady at work that's always bad-mouthing me, like with everyone? With that one crazy aunt that every time we go to dinner, she's got to bring up the politics that's opposite my politics. You know, your politics will always be opposite somebody else's, right? That's just how, I mean, it doesn't matter what positions you stand on. You're going to find people, and there's some people that will go to the, like, they're ready to fight over everything, right? And so you got that aunt that's difficult to deal with, you know? It might be a boss, that's difficult to deal with. It may be you're a ball player here, a young teenager, and that coach, ugh, he's a difficult person to deal with. Pastor Brantley might be your baseball coach. <laughs> Didn't he do a fine job last week? Oh my gosh, what a word. If you missed last Sunday, go watch it online. It was incredible. But this idea that we should strive to live at peace with everyone, guess what? That includes our enemies. Not just the people that's easy to deal with. That idea that we should strive to live at peace includes everyone. 
And here's the reason why. We should strive to live at peace with others, not because of our relationship to them, but because of our relationship to God. I'm going to say it again. We're going to put it on the screen. We should strive to live in relationship with others, not because of our relationship with them, but because of our relationship to God. Or we should strive to serve others. Amen? Ephesians 6, 6, 7 says it this way. says that we should be doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. So the service you offer, even that person that drives you crazy, The service that you offer is offered first and foremost to the Lord. We go about our life. Everything we do is to serve him. The Bible even says in him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. If that's the case, everything about my life, everything about your life is about Jesus. What does it mean? How am I serving him in this moment? And so as Christians, don't lose this. Get this. We serve God, and because of that, we serve others. As Christians, we serve God, and because of that, we serve others. Now, I'm going to stop there, and this isn't about the sermon, but in the first service, I got on toes, so I don't want to leave you out, right? And so here's the thing. As Christians, we serve. Enough said. I'm going I'm to tell you right now, if you're a Christ follower and you can't honestly say in your life, there's an area of your life that you volunteer in, that you serve in, that you make a difference in. What's wrong with you? Amy's like, what? I'm on medicine. You have to just forgive me. <laughs> it was just that. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit boldness or just the pills. I, I don't, it doesn't matter. No, I'm being honest though. Christians, everybody shout serve. serve. I believe that with all my heart. I don't serve Because I'm pastor of this church. I'm not saying this to tap myself on the back. Yesterday, I went and helped unload a family that had a pod. They had everything moved. If you ever move, do that. That pod thing was awesome. And so we helped unload the pod. You know why I did that? Not because I'm a pastor. I did that because I'm a brother in the Lord. I did that because I'm serving God. I did that because I don't expect you all just to serve and me not. Amen? I did that because Christians... Yeah, and I want you to challenge yourself and look for opportunities and ways to serve in the house, outside the house. There's people here that serve at schools as para, para-teachers and all sorts of things. I'm not saying it has to always be a religious-type service, but everything you do is sacred, and everything you do, God gets the glory, amen, when you serve. But as Christians, we serve God, and because of that, we serve others. And so because of that, even those that feel, you might feel like, they don't deserve my service, They don't deserve even a good word. God would challenge us that even those, if it's all possible for us to live in peace with them, even those, if it's at all possible, to render service with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Wow, Ross, that's heavy. Even those at times who position themselves to be our enemies, we have got to have a a heart of willingness to serve if called upon. Amen? I want to take you to John 13. Open your Bibles to John 13. This is a popular passage. As I said, it's the night Jesus was going to be betrayed. It's the night that he's going to be taken into custody and begin the whole 
passion experience that takes place that brings us our salvation. And this evening, Jesus calls and gets everybody together in an upper room to have Passover, this last meal together. And something beautiful happens this night as they're gathered together and God begins to serve. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be a servant to others as he took his place as a servant in that circle of friends. Let's stand to our feet. We always honor God's word at least once when I'm preaching by just standing to our feet to honor God's word. In John 13, verse 3 through 5, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Father, in the name of Jesus, stir us today to live up to the servanthood modeled by our Jesus in your name. Amen. You can have your seats. And so what you have to understand in this situation is that as people would come into a place of a meal like that or into a home, their feet would be dirty. And do you guys remember the story or the time when Jesus said, if somebody receives you, you go into their home and you dine. If not, they don't receive you. You kick the dust off your feet and you go on. You remember that? In other words, if they invite you into your home, they're going to handle the dust on your feet. If they invite you into the home, they're going to offer shalom. But if peace isn't there, if shalom isn't offered, you just take care of the dust yourself, kick it off, and keep on walking. That's the picture we have here. This is a group of people that Jesus has shalom with. A group of people that he is wanting the best for. That's what shalom means. It means that your way would prosper is really what it means. That you would have everything that you need as you go along the way. It doesn't sound like what God would want for us. Amen? And so he's invited them into this place of shalom. He's invited them into this place of fellowship. And he takes upon himself the position of a servant. Because when you would go into a home, it would be the servant that would wash your feet or the least of that home, maybe a young child of some sort. And they would dawn upon themselves the towel, and they would wash the feet. But Jesus, the master, chooses in this moment to take the place of the servant. I mean, we all know this story. It's a beautiful picture of servanthood. The master taking time to model to those who served him what it looks like to be a servant leader. You've heard that term before, right? Servant leader. I used to deal with this with church planters all the time. Don't let anybody outwork you. You serve. You go shoulder to shoulder, neck to neck, elbow to elbow with people. And people will do the same with you. And you'll build a thing for the kingdom of God. Yes, you will. It's the only way I knew how to plant a church is just serve, right? And to find others like the Battens to serve with. And man, we were shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, and we still are. But I used to challenge them that. Just be a servant. How am I going to build the church? Being a great preacher? Be a servant. That's how you're going to start this, you know? But there's a deeper meaning in this story than just mere servanthood. Because guess what? We can all serve those that are our friends. Don't you? Is there people that you enjoy serving? They make it easy. Oh, this is delicious. Well, everything I make you like, well, everything you make is good. We're just like, oh. You know, it's just a mutual admiration society, you know? Then there's people that you try to serve, and it's like, that's too hot. <sighs> Next time, that's too cold. Okay, freaking Goldilocks, I want to smack you in the, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it makes it difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
We can all serve those that are friends, though. You know, those that have good motives and pure hearts, those that have, have our best interest in mind, it's easy to serve those kinds of people. But the richness of this story really comes out when you see the full context of this passage. Because Jesus modeled not just servanthood in this passage, but the depths of his love in this moment. Look at John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want to repeat that last part. Having loved those who were his own who were in the world. Say in the world. He loved them to the end. My mind lit on that. In the world. Guess what? In the world there is. There's all kinds of people. Is that true? There's good people and bad people. Right people and wrong people. You know? All kinds of people. People who are easy to love. And others who are more difficult to love. People with pure motives, and people with impure motives. People with rock solid loyalties, and people with shifting loyalties. God had come to love these in this circle. He'd come to love them that were in the world. And I believe that God understood these were men coming into this room with dirty feet. How many know every single person in this room, y'all got some dirty feet? Ooh, love. Y'all got dirty. Everybody in the world at times has dirty feet. They got stuff from society that needs to be washed off. Back then, as they walked the streets... There in Jerusalem, it wouldn't be like it is today with closed sewage systems and such. Some of that stuff on those feet was poo. Just because I want to say it, feces. No, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> the stuff, right? Yeah, people with dirty feet. You know what my pastor used to say about people with dirty feet? I love that. He would say, go through life looking at people, expecting them to be carnal. And when they act spiritual, you'll be pleasantly surprised. If you go through life all the time expecting people to be perfect and spiritual, man, you'll go through life pretty disappointed most of the time, right? Why? Because people have, everybody say, dirty feet. Yeah. And so Jesus is going to deal with these people with dirty feet. But here's the thing. It wasn't just that there was people in that circle that had dirty feet, there was also some people in that circle that had dirty hearts. Now you're getting the picture of the context that Jesus' servanthood was modeled in. Because there's a person with dirty feet. People like Judas. We'll start off with Judas. And the dirt of betrayal. A violation of a person's trust or confidence. Judas was the man who held the money bag. He was the man in Jesus' life that kept the finances. That, that day when they talked about going into the city and, and people needing to buy bread and all that stuff, and, and, and like, no, no, no. He's the one that looked in there and was like, anything ain't going to happen. And they found that young boy with fish and loaves, and next thing you know, a miracle. Judas was that guy holding that bag that day. Judas, the treasurer. That's the person that you really have confidence in, right? And this is the man that's going to betray Jesus for, for 30 pieces of silver. This is the man. It says in 
Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The very first two verses gets us to that place of Simon as a betrayer, as one who violates that person, Jesus' trust and his confidence. That's the one that Jesus, at one point in that night, took a towel, wiped his dirty feet, took a towel and served him knowing his heart was knowing his motives were impure. And Jesus took time to show a love to an enemy, in a sense. That's heavy. But that's what Jesus modeled. John 13, 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. This is as he has said, there's a betrayer amongst you. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. There's somebody here at the table who is eating with me, dining with me, been my friend, and they've lifted their heel. And this is going to fulfill scripture because in Psalm um, um, 41 verse 9, it says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So this isn't just anybody. This is a close friend. Years ago, I had a close friend, somebody we had spent years, our families developing a relationship, and man, in a moment, in a week's time, got bent, went sideways, and tried to take everything I've had and worked toward and bring it down. It hurt. You know why it hurt? Because as a young pastor, up to that point, I'd never experienced that before. People liked me. At least I thought they did. And if they talked behind my back, they were good at it. I didn't know. Maybe I had rose-colored glasses in my young ministry days. I don't know. All I know is it was the first time in my life where I just felt like I had poured and poured and poured. And it was just ripped out from under us. And not just that, an active campaign to take other people with them. I'm just, ah! Betrayal, it felt like. You know how that is. It wouldn't hurt so bad if it wasn't a close friend. It wouldn't hurt so bad if it wasn't a family member. It wouldn't hurt so bad if it wasn't somebody that you trusted and you thought at one time they trusted you, but now betrayal takes place. Jesus knows how that feels. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, you have to understand this idea of a lifting of a heel against one is a messianic prophecy as well. So I love how scripture works. So we're in John 13, and it's referring to a prophecy in Psalm 41 that's referring to a prophecy in Genesis 3. Well, what's that prophecy, Ross? So the Lord God said to the serpent, he, the serpent, he shall bruise your, or God, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who, who will bruise your heel? Who will, you know, or I'm sorry, who will bruise your head? says Satan. Amen? So the enemy here isn't the friend, the close friend that did me wrong. The enemy is the enemy. The enemy is Satan. Amen? You calling that person the devil? Not today. (laughs) There was times. But I had to realize that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness that sets itself up in high places to overcome the knowledge of the word of God. And so with that, 
that person isn't my enemy. Satan is my enemy. That one that is insidious, that one that's behind all this stirring, that one that is behind the betrayal. And because of that, I can position myself in a way that I can look at the betrayer, in a sense, with a heart of compassion, heart of brokenness, how deceived they have allowed them to become. I believe that's how Jesus was able to look at Judas in that moment. Does that make sense? So the Lord God said to the serpent, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Only you have the power to let one who has positioned themselves as your enemy to take you out. I can see here there's authority. There's power to deal with Satan. There's power to deal with, if you will, the enemy in our lives. There's power and authority. And if we give that power up, then we will lose our joy. If we give that power up, then we will lose our peace. How many's lost some joy and peace before over somebody that you perceive as an enemy or somebody that is betrayed or somebody that is attacked? Yeah, I think many of us in this room, we've experienced that. But you see the real enemy here. He says, my close friend who has lifted his heel in Genesis, we see that it was Satan himself. The enemy is trying to get his glory. And all in this, in serving those around that table, I love it. Jesus is going to have his glory. He's going to show what it looks like to really love the way God would have us to love. And so here's what happens. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And everybody starts talking in the circle. People are just, I think, wanting to know, who is it? Who's it going to be? Wouldn't you wonder? There's just 12 of you. There's a one in 12 chance that somebody's a loser here. So you're just kind of... And something I never saw before until I was preparing for the sermon, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. That's John, the beloved. He's leaning closest to Jesus. And then it says, Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking of. He knows John's closest. And I never thought of this. I wonder if there was a little bit of self-doubt in Peter. Could it be me? Could I be the one that's going to be true? Find out. You're close. You find out. You find out. And to me, what it spoke was, every single one of us is a bad relational experience away from being a betrayer ourselves. You know what I mean? It's being someone who denies ourselves. Every single one of us. So we got we to gotta carry our hearts um, fragilely, in a sense, when we're dealing with issues like this. But Peter wants to know, and so um, John, the beloved, leans over and says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's he who, to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan, who? There you go. Entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. It sounds so similar a little later that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came, and, and Jesus is standing there, and he's waiting for, for Judas to walk up, and Judas is going to give him that kiss of betrayal. It says this in Matthew 26, 50. He looks at Judas and just says, friend, do what you came to do. Still calling him friend. Even my close friend has risen up against me. Friend, do what you've come to do. 
This narrative of Jesus' servanthood literally is powerful because it bookends the betrayal of Judas in the first two verses. It labels Judas as a betrayer in 36 through verse 38. In those verses, the last 37, 38, it labels Peter as the one that's going to deny. It shows this part of the narrative, part of the story. And so all that we see happening in the storyline of servanthood is bookended by betrayal and denial. John 13, verse 36 through 38, Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I'll do anything for you, man. I got your back. I'm always with you. You need a friend. It's me. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, you will, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So we see people in this passage of scripture with dirty feet all around that table. But we see a couple people in the moment that have some dirty hearts as well. People like Peter. I felt like Jesus had to be like clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. I'm stuck in the middle with you. Hug me, John. <laughs> I need some peace up in here. You know, no. In the middle of all that, he showed a model of servanthood. It's incredible. And so the dirt of betrayal, we've all dealt with at times. The dirt of denial. Denial is a refusal to acknowledge a person or a thing. And I'll also say it can link to the motives of a person or a thing. Denying that a person has correct motives. Denying the purpose of a person and, and looking at that in such a way with disdain. How many's ever been denied before in that light? Yeah. I, I had a guy when I was coming through that betrayal season and my heart was so heavy. I can remember I was right underneath the portico out here and a man hugs me. Pastor, I can't believe that person's doing this. I can't believe that. All that you've done, you've done so much in our life, I would never, I got your back. I'm hearing this. And can I be honest? I was kind of nervous when I was hearing it. I was trying to stay pure in my heart and receive it. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. It's okay. Trying to not have disdain for the other person and speak honorable still of the other person. But this person was assuring me about who I, I am in their life and all these kinds of things. And a year later, this person refuses to acknowledge my motives in a certain area and not only begins to speak against what he felt my motives were, begin to rally others around this lie. Everybody's really quiet. Trust me, I won't stumble. I won't say any names. But man, it was just like Peter, I felt like. Betrayal and now denial. Personal pain that just was so heavy. Can I be honest with you? For a while, it made me leery to serve people fully. Isn't that true, Amy? It made me, it made me leery to trust people. It made me act in a way that I'm not usually acting, like guarded and distant and and, and, but it was shaping me. 
And it wasn't that person that was shaping me. It was myself allowing it to have power to shape me. Amen? Man, I was crushed. And I didn't handle it very, very good. I literally, there was times I thought, who's the next person that I'm going to give my time and energy to that's going to betray me or deny my motives and pure intentions? I want everybody just to have a nice, big, wah. You can do it, wah. Because it does, it sounds babyish, you know. But you've all been there before, you bunch of babies. Every one of us have felt that way before, you know. Felt betrayed or denied. Man, it was just a tough thing in that moment. Remember, only you have the power to let one who has positioned themselves as your enemy take you out. Only you have the power to let one rob your purity of heart and your passion to serve. And there was a season where that was robbed in my heart. I, did, I, I just didn't have a purity of, of, of passion to serve. Amen? John 13, 12 through 17. Watch what Jesus did. He knows this is going to happen. Judas, in the first two verses, Peter, in the last two verses, verse 12, right in the middle, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Just the ones with dirty feet, or what about the ones with dirty feet and dirty hearts? You also, just like I did, you wash, you serve each other. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you hear them. Is that what it says? No, 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 that's the, that's the problem with us as, as, as the modern church. It's not blessed are those who hear, it's blessed are those who do them. And so he is the master, but he positioned himself as a servant. And he's challenging us to live lives service-minded as well. Not because of people, but because of our relationship to God. Not because they're good, but because he's God. Amen. Not just the ones that are easy to serve, but also the ones that are much more difficult to serve. What a model of servanthood, not just toward those who are easy, but those who are difficult. And I'll be honest, I have failed at times at this. I've betrayed, I've denied, if you will, Jesus' best intentions. My neighbor, I, I, I'm broken by that. This year, I've started fixing that. I have an old guy that's a neighbor, and I love that guy. But through the years, not one thing I could do ever wasn't ridiculed or cut down and I took it so personal why because I'm a baby wow right back as the church was coming up and you know we're all having to work extra jobs and keep things going and work hours and hours and be worn out and he would holler over to Amy how's your lazy husband done your lazy husband her husband will punch you in the throat <laughs> with the love of Jesus turn it into a laying on a hands no no, but just stuff like that through the years. And a few years ago, I just was done. And I had a choice word with him. May had four letters. It didn't. It didn't have four letters. It really didn't. It didn't. Did it. It didn't. It had three, but it didn't have four. <laughs> and that was it. I was done. It was around the time when I was having all this tension from 
those other couple people. I was just done. I'm done. I stopped trying to say hi. I stopped walking over. I stopped looking for things to do to help serve. I stopped waving. I stopped looking, pulling my driveway, get out of my car, walk up to the house. I don't care if you're over there or not having a heart attack on your driveway. I don't care. That's evil, right? I did care. No, I didn't care. I was mad. Man, last year, the Lord started really pricking my heart. This guy, it's not about you. He's hurting. There's things in his life that's causing him to always look for the negative. This isn't about you. And so the Lord laid in my heart to start serving him. I bought him something for Christmas, and I took it to his door and gave it to him. And he's like, well, I don't use this. Why would you get this for me? Well, I'm taking it back. I mean, even that, it was just like, oh, Jesus, you're trying me here. Help me, Lord. Long story short, we started breaking through. The last six months have been beautiful. You know, just being able to connect with this fella. Long ago, told Amy, I said, first conversation I ever had with him, not one negative thing was said. Like personal negative, you know? Didn't rip on one thing. It's a miracle. So I'm not trying to say I'm right. I'm just saying I, I went through seasons where it was hard to serve those that you feel have positioned themselves against you. We all go through that. But Jesus is modeling to us this place of servanthood. He actually calls it a commandment. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Not just those with clean feet and clean hearts, but dirty feet and dirty hearts. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not just about the two people, you and that other person either. It's about others that see what's going on. Now, here's the thing. Through the years, I've been a constant source as far as being stable. And people that were surrounding those relationships where I felt betrayed and denied, the people surrounding that, one after another through the years, have been able to call upon us. And guess what? We didn't look and say, no, you allied with, we're not help. No, whatever you need, we're here for you. And I'm not bragging on me. That's the heart of this house. Why? Because that's the heart of our Savior. And so it's got to be my heart too, even though at times my heart gets strained. They could see, not me, they could see the love of Jesus. And it's the same way with you as you serve others. Now, here's the thing. That we're supposed to walk in this peace and serve. There's some people that won't allow you to walk in that peace. Amen? I'm not telling you just take it lying down. There's sometimes you have to create boundaries. Amen? But on this side of the boundary, it doesn't have power over you anymore. On this side of the boundary, there's a meekness, which is a power in restraint, a strength in restraint. And you're always saying, Lord, if there's an opportunity to serve, I will be first to serve. Lord, if there's an opportunity to do something kind, I'll be first to be kind in that area. But you can keep those boundaries at times. They're healthy. They're God-given at times. Amen? So this new commandment we're supposed to walk in. And so I want to ask you, how can you show the love of Jesus by serving those who are difficult to serve in your life. There's some things popping in your head? I hope so. You guys remember the mean guy? Remember him? In the neighborhood? <clears throat> he had that mean wife and he had those mean kids and that mean dog. Well, that guy ended up getting COVID. His whole family, mom and him, got COVID. 
And there was a Christian family in the neighborhood, and man, it would have been very easy, because they had made such enemies all through the neighborhood. It would have been very easy for somebody to say, you're so mean, your wife's ugly, your kids are stupid, and your dog stinks. I said that. I said, I said, he's mean, and his dog's stupid, and his wife stinks. Whatever. So I said, you know how proud we are when we, when, you know. And then we'll have that dialogue, you know. It's like, and I know he's going to come over here, and then he's going to say this, and when he says this, I'm going to say that. And when they say that, I'm going to say this. And, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's all in your freaking head. None of this has happened yet. It just robs you of your peace and your joy. It just robs you of your, your passion to serve and your purity of heart, right? <laughs> but it's fun to say. There's no fruit in it. A lot of times things that are fun, there's no fruit in it, right? A lot of times. No, no, this man got sick. And his wife got sick. And that Christian family, they, 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 the mama come over and made him dinner that week. Every night made him dinner. The daddy said to the teenage son, hey, let's go over and mow their lawns. But dad, that guy's so mean. I know, I know. But let's go serve him. And that teenage son and daddy mowed the lawns, raked the leaves, got the yard looking good. They had a teenage sister. She got them ugly. No, no, no. Be nice. She got those angelic, angelic children off the bus. And she took them and played with them and got the energy spent on them and, and then got them to do their homework and got them sat down to eat and they even washed that stinking dog. <laughs> what do you think happened on the backside of that, that? That caring family began to have a connection to that old other family that had so many hurts and issues. And that was the reason why they would lash out. And that caring family began to have a connection with that other family. It sure wouldn't have been the same had they just rebuked them soundly and ugly. Proverbs 16, 7 speaks to it. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. See that? When we're walking in a way that pleases God, even our enemies will recognize in us the Prince of Peace. We'll recognize in us who God is. We'll recognize in us that love that's not our own. We'll recognize in us a heart that is there to serve and be willing to help even our enemies will have peace with us. And so I'm driving through Walmart parking lot last year, and, and, and that person that just hurt my heart so much years ago, I see him up ahead. I'm pretty sure it's from behind. And I, I think that's the person. And so I started speeding up. No, I didn't. I did it. How many points? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in my mind. But I, I drive up, and I stop, and I roll the window down, passenger side, and I hollered the person's name. And they turned, and they kind of looked shocked. The last time we had stood toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I had my words, and they were ugly, and they had their words, and they were ugly, and that was it. Done. Now I'm looking through the window, and the person looks shocked and walks up to the car as if, is it okay for me to come up to the car? And I talk, and... They lean in, and they start talking. And all of a sudden, the person just says, can I give you a hug? And I thought, like, yeah. And they came around and gave me a hug, said they're sorry. I know. I understand. It's going to be okay. You know? And that was that. 
haven't talked since, you know. It's not like you have to have a hunky-dory relationship. Does that make sense? But that person knows, and I said it when I left, anything you need, you let me know, and I'll always be there for you. Anything you need. When that person that had said, I would never treat you that way, the day they cussed me out, literally as a pastor, who the do you think you are? That day I said, I'll always be here for you. I'm not your pastor anymore. If you need anything, you let me know and I'll be there. I mean that. Amen? Why? Because that's what Jesus does. He saw the denier. He saw the betrayer. And he washed their feet anyhow. He knew that we live in a world where there are people with dirty feet and dirty hearts. And we've got to have a heart like God that's willing to serve even those who would position themselves to be enemies against us. Do you know why I had to be okay in that moment with that person? There's two reasons. One, I'm serving God when I'm serving others. There's one reason you're serving God when you're serving others. You're serving God when you're doing right by others, even when you know they've done wrong by you. When you hold your tongue and you don't speak out that negativity against that person to everybody you know trying to create allies, you're serving God, not just serving them. We serve God, and in doing so, we serve others. Now, number two, the reason why I had to be open to, to be willing to serve is, I don't want you to miss this, and it's going to take me a second to get there. Even while Judas's heart was wretched, it didn't diminish Jesus' love for him. Love is Jesus' nature. All God's ever wanted is to be a blessing to those that he has created. That, that's his heart as the Father. Gave us the whole world and said, be fruitful, multiply. He wanted you to walk in this blessing, this multiplied blessing of fruitfulness. And so it's easy when people do things. It's easy to look at people and be like, they're so mean. They're so bad. They're my enemy. But guess what? The Bible teaches that everyone in this room once was an enemy of God. I have to keep that in mind when people do something that makes me want to mm, not serve them. The Bible says that we're all enemies. It says that you were at enmity with God. In other words, you were an enemy of God. Every one of us in this room, prior to coming to faith in Christ, prior to his blood, literally like a towel dipped in blood, washing our dirty feet and our dirty hearts, prior to that, we were an enemy of God. And he saw our evil hearts. When I was a kid, they would sing this song. He knew me. Yet he loved me when he was on the cross. I was on his mind. A lot of times we think that means the pain and the junk that we've been. No, no, no. He knew my evil heart. He knew I would curse against him. He knew I would run away from him. He knew the stuff I would steal. He knew the stuff that you would do. But when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. He already planned that you would be like a Judas or a Peter in that circle of his friends, that he would come with his blood and he would wash your sins away. He already planned that. And if I was his enemy and he wanted to serve me, how can I live any different than my master? Because the Bible says a servant isn't greater than his master. Hmm. 
Thankful that Jesus is the one who loves his enemies and serves his enemies because I once was his enemy. That's that second reason we serve, number one, because it's God who we're serving, then others. Number two, because every one of us have been an enemy of God at some point. But Jesus made a way that we could have peace with God. He made a way that we could be served by him and who we are could be washed and cleansed. He laid down his life so that we could be saved. He even said in Romans 5, 8 that God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinning, he died for us. He knew you, yet he loved you. And so that's where we're at as God's people. People that look at those in our life that may deny, may betray, and we choose to serve anyhow as a model that what Jesus called us to do. So that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to do two things today. If you're here in this room, I want to serve you the best I possibly can today. And Jesus wants to serve you to the degree, literally, that he died for you. That's how much we want to serve you today. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are at war. You don't feel like it because our hearts are desperately wicked. But if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we are in enmity with our creator. We're an enemy of God. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you want peace with God, you want that washing of, his, of who he is, that blood to just cover your sins, that you can leave without a dirty feet, without a dirty heart, that you can leave cleansed, if that's you, you want to become a believer in Jesus? If that's you, hold up your hand. Is there anybody in the room today? Amen. Amen. Someone raise their hand. Let's pray. Let's say, Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse me. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Thanks you. Thank you for cleaning my dirty feet, taking care of my dirty heart. I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are online or in this room and you prayed that prayer, we have a little book we want to give you. It's seven days with Jesus. It's just your first seven days with the Lord and just give you some direction and your next steps. If you're watching online and you come to faith and you want that little booklet, put a number five in the comments. Five is the, the number of grace and God's grace is upon you as you come to salvation. If you're here, just see one of our ushers and we'll get you a little booklet or you can go out to the, the connections area at the big hallway and they can get it for you. I want you to bow your head. If you're here this morning as we close and there's something, a person, something in your life like that, a person that you have felt that tension with and you struggle with that, would you just hold up your hand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Man, hands up everywhere. Jesus, allow them not to do it in their own power. Everything you command us to do, you empower us to do. And so we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would allow you to be alive in us. In you we live, in you we move, in you we have our being. And so be alive in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to be servants of those who would even have a heart to position themselves as our enemies. Not for our glory, but that so people would know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.